This morning, we're going to be looking at a message, the gospel of God's righteousness. We've been in a little kind of mini-series here in Romans chapter 10. We've been working our way through Romans. This is the 94th message in the book. And um, we're, we're talking about God's way of righteousness because the Bible said that there's a, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. The end is destruction. It's not good. Um, And so I just want to read a couple verses for us this morning out of Romans 10 as we begin to prepare our hearts for our communion time. It says in verse 13 of Romans 10, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? Never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? As we look at these couple verses this morning, I just want to remind our, our hearts that uh, uh, I was reading a, a book on William Carey, a wonderful missionary. And when he first desired to go to India and, and to the areas that he went to, um, he got a lot of uh, resistance from those who were surrounding him in his religious environment at the time, and they were very strong in the beliefs of doctrines of grace and almost maybe a little too strong. Um, Because one of them replied this when he went before the board to ask to be sent to India. One replied and said, Young man, one of the older church leaders said this, When God chooses to save the heathen of India... He will do so without your help. Now, I'm sorry, but I understand God is sovereign in election and doctrine. I understand all that in salvation. Um, but fortunately, Carrie knew better than that. And I pray that we know better than that as well. He knew that when God really determines for something that's to happen, he also determines the way it's going to happen, the means in which it happens. And in this case... The first step was to begin to evangelize those lost people of India. And that's what William Carey went on to do. And he persevered. And the rest is really history, you might say. Last week, we looked at these verses 13 to 15 and how important it really is that we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet heard or believed in it. That's why he left us here. That's one of the the purposes he left us here. I mean, sometimes I wish we would just get saved and we'd go to be with the Lord. And that would be it, right? I mean, that would be glorious. And God could just do his salvation work here on earth and and we could be in heaven with him and rejoicing when one would come up and, you know, but that's not what God's plan laid out. He said, no, you're going to get saved and I'm going to leave you down here on this sin-filled earth um, for a purpose. I want people to see Christ in you. I want them to see the hope of glory in you. And so we saw this, what we call the chain of the gospel. It's there in your your outline, I believe. Um, We looked at this last week. And basically, it, it speaks of the idea that 
you have this sending of the messenger. You have the preaching of the gospel. And it's all right there in those verses we looked at. The hearing is the next thing. People hear the word of Christ. That's why I always tell people when you're sharing your testimony, you know, don't just tell us all about you. I mean, that's wonderful to do that, but include some scripture. Include some words of Christ. Include the gospel through verses that maybe he used to draw you to himself. And then you have the the believer, uh, the, the listener believing that message and eventually calling on Christ, Jesus the Lord, for salvation. And last week we basically looked at verse 15 in the end there and it said, Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And I was kind of looking at that verse and I found a story from a barn house, Donald Gray barn house, about a man who was had this horrible disease of elephantitis. Maybe some of you have read this. But he, he basically, elephantitis is the disease where the skin becomes thick and um, hard and the limbs of that person become uh, swollen and enormously enlarged and almost like their, their legs and their feet look like something that would be attached to an elephant. That's where they get the name. And the leg basically from the knee down became, can become as large as 12 or 15 inches in diameter. And you can imagine, I mean, it's probably very difficult and painful, restricting to, to, to walk around and to move about. And this story goes like this. This poor victim of elephantitis, he heard this from a missionary um, in Africa, but he became a radiant Christian, this native African. And he couldn't do anything other than tell people about the grace of God. That's what his desire was. And he, he wanted the people to understand the, the wonderful grace that God had shown to him in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for them. And he lived in this African village, and he determined that every soul in the village should hear the good news of salvation. Now, this man was grave, you know, ill. I mean, he had this elephantitis condition. He couldn't get up. He couldn't move around very well. It was extremely difficult for him to walk. But he thought nothing of the pain. And he toiled on from hut to hut throughout that village to tell those about the Savior about the Savior who had come into his life and changed his life. Each evening, he would return to his hut where his family members would care for him. And they would bandage up his wounds because walking is, is just not something with that disease you should be doing. And at the end of several months, he was able to tell the missionary who was there that he had visited every hut in the village. And that he was now starting to take the gospel message to a village that was about two miles away. Because <laughs> he had shared the message in his own village with everybody. And each morning he would start off painfully this walk down the path two miles to the village. And he'd go from hut to hut with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he would return the two miles before sundown to his own hut. And the story goes on. And finally there came a day when he had visited every hut in that village. <laughs> And his 
work was done in those two villages. There was nothing else to do. He shared the gospel with every person there, and he had remained at home for some weeks, and his family was caring for him, but the more he was at home, he became restless in his soul. And he spoke to the, the local pastor who they had there and the missionary who was a medical doctor. And he said, you know, there's this village that lays about 10 or 12 miles beyond the other village. And they said, don't even think about it. There's no way. You can't do it. You know, it's too tough of a track through the jungle. And, uh, but he said, has anybody taken the gospel to them yet? And they said, well, no, but you know, <laughs> just get this out of your mind. You're not going to do this. And as a boy, before this, this uh, guy had been afflicted, he had traveled to that village on occasion. And he remembered that it was a large village, and there were a lot of people there. And he knew that they needed to hear the good tidings of the Savior. He was advised not to think about going to the village, but day after day, the burden grew in his heart. One day, his family came to the missionary, and they said, you know what? He's disappeared. <laughs> before dawn... And they had heard him uh, go about, kind of, you know, and they thought, well, maybe he just left for a minute, but he was gone. He was decided to go to this village. And um, afterwards, after this whole, whole story had become known, um, basically he said that he started down the path to this village. Step after step, weary step, he dragged his leathery legs, and his gigantic feet along the path that led to his goal. The people of the village later told how he had come to them when it was already noon. Now remember, he's got to go back home as well. His feet were so swollen, they were bruised, they were bleeding. He had been forced to stop and rest again and again, so it took longer this trip And it was already past midday when he finally arrived. They offered him food. But before he would eat, he began to tell all the villagers about Jesus Christ. About the glorious gospel of Christ. Up and down the village, the story says, he went even to every last hut. Telling them that the God of all creation was love. And that he sent his only son that their sins might be forgiven, might be removed And he told them how the Lord Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead and had come into his heart, bringing such joy and peace. Well, there was no shelter there in that village for him to stay. And even though the sun was low, he decided, I have to get back to my village. So he started on the path home. Now, I've never been to Africa, and I don't think I'd want to be in Africa in the jungle in the middle of night. But that's where he found himself. And he describes it as a terrible darkness. And he says, the night can bring forth many creatures from the jungle. You can only imagine, right? Well, the sun went down and the poor man dragged himself along the path in the darkness, guided by some insight which kept him from going astray. He told his pastor later that his fear of the night and the animals which might come upon him was more than balanced by the joy that he had in his heart as he realized that he had told the entire village about the Lord Jesus Christ. Toward midnight, the story says the missionary doctor was awakened by a noise on his front porch. He listened and kind of laid there in bed and he thought, well, I better go check this out. Couldn't go back to bed. He went out, turned on a light there to see what had caused the noise. And he recognized at once the poor neighbor 
who had returned from this long trip to the village. He had come with his wounded, bleeding leg stumps to the door of the dispensary. So the missionary called his helpers. They lifted this man almost unconscious and put him on one of the beds in the little hospital. The doctor said that he had seldom seen such a frightful sight as he looked upon those bleeding feet which had come back from such an errand of love and mercy. And as he cleaned and dressed them, he told his own tears had fallen with the ointment upon them. The doctor ended the story by saying this, In all my life, I do not know when my heart was more drawn out to another Christian believer. All I could think of was the verse in the word of God, How beautiful are the feet of them that bring glad tidings, that publish peace. See, here was a man, beloved, who had been sent by God to tell a story of what Christ had done for him. And even though it it was a tremendous cost to him, a personal agony, he had not flinched. He was faithful to what God desired him to do. Because he knew that he had to get that good news of the gospel to those needy souls. You know, when we speak of the chain of the gospel, and we think of sending the messenger and preaching the gospel and hearing the word and allowing the listener to to understand the, the gospel message and then seeing eventually that listener call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what a glorious thing to be part of that chain. You know, because there's a couple human elements there in that chain. The sending and the preaching. You know, and that's what we're called to do as a church, as individuals. And we're called to do it in a myriad of ways. You know what? Those are the times that sometimes people can see Christ in us. You know, and he didn't drop to his knees and, you know, come to Christ. And I mean, but you know what? It's, it's, it's a chain that's going on here. And, you know, when we're allowed to have that kind of presence in somebody's life, we need to be sensitive to the leading of the spirit and so it's very important i think that when we we understand that and we understand that we're supposed to take the gospel and we talked about this last week but then i began to realize well what is the gospel you know there's a lot of churches even in our area that spend multiple millions of dollars getting people onto their campus through marketing and through you know rec centers and through all kinds of stuff And that's very noble of them. But what happens when the people get there? What what is the gospel that they're giving to them? Is it the gospel that we see in the word of God? And so I thought this morning before our communion time, we'd just take a little time and look at the idea of understanding the gospel of righteousness. Because what is the gospel. The gospel basically is this. It's the perfect life, the atoning death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God, the Bible says, on to salvation for everyone who believes. That's what the gospel is. Now, that's a very simplified version of the gospel. But we can also, if you look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15... First, First Corinthians chapter 15, we see where Paul basically explains the gospel very simply for us in these verses here. 
if you had to put the gospel in a little package, you could say the basic ingredients of the gospel are the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the appearance of the resurrected Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, Paul says here very clearly, and I want you to notice there's, there's four, I guess, clauses, you could call them, introduced here by the word that, at least in, in my version. Um, but I'll point them out to you as we read through this. But look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he says this in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here comes one of the clauses. That Christ what died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Part of the gospel is understanding that Christ died. For our sins. And I think that death was not a general death. I believe that death, the Bible points out, was a specific death. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all who would put their faith or trust in Christ Jesus. And he says there that he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. The second clause is pointed out there that he was buried. I mean, you know, that's really an indication that he was dead. The last time I checked, beloved, you don't bury people who are living. At least it's probably not a good idea to do such a thing. They wouldn't be living for long. But he was dead, and so they buried him. And then the third thing, it says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. See, Christ not only died... He was not only buried, but he was also raised, it says, according to the scriptures. And then the fourth thing there, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So it's not like Jesus came out of the grave, he was raised, and nobody saw him. The, the, the New Testament is, says hundreds of people saw him. And so those verses, basically, that Paul gives us here are really an early Christian confession, you might say. It it gives you the heart of what the gospel is. And it shows us that the resurrection is an integral part. I mean, if Jesus would have died, but he never would have been raised from the dead, who would have, I mean, Jesus would have been like everybody else. But that's not true. He was raised from the dead. And you notice there that Paul starts off there, he says, of first importance. Of first importance. That really stresses priority, not time. Um, The stress is on the centrality of those truths to the gospel message. He wants us to understand that all these things make up the gospel message. It's the message of good news of salvation. That the word of truth offered to mankind by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's what the gospel is. 
See, it's not just the message of only eternal life, but one that encompasses the whole plan of God to redeem for himself a people from their sin, from death, from Satan, from all the the curses that cover the earth now. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in 5.21, he says, He, meaning the Father, made him the Son to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the gospel allows us to have a righteousness that we could not have on our own. The religious leaders of Jesus' day wanted to know, well, how righteous do you have to be? And Jesus' answer to them basically was, you know, you have to be perfect, as my father's perfect. I don't know about you, but last time I checked, I'm not even near that. Not even near it. And I remember for years, as a Catholic in the Catholic faith, trying to get closer and closer and trying to gain righteousness by going to Mass, by going to confession, by being an altar boy, by doing all this stuff, thinking somehow God's going to like me more if I do more of this stuff. It was a religion of works. It was a religion that denied the righteousness of Christ, in all honesty. Because it was a religion that pointed me to my own righteousness. And that's just not the way things work. And so when you stop and you think of Christ going to the cross, you have to start with the the idea that Jesus was perfect in every way. He was God in a body. He was guilty of nothing. Nothing. Yet the Bible tells us that on the cross, the Father treated him as if he had committed personally every sin that was ever committed by every individual who would ever believe in him. He took our sin upon himself, the Bible says. And he did so willingly. Even though he was blameless. Even though he was perfect, he was righteous. He faced the full fury of God's wrath. Enduring the penalty of sin on behalf of those he came to save, the Bible says. See, it's because of that he became the perfect substitute for us. Who, who could, even if you did die for yourself, you couldn't save yourself because you're not a perfect sacrifice. See, and as a result of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, those whom God has elected become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says that God places us in Christ. When we go to heaven, we don't have a righteousness to stand on, on our own account. We rely on the righteousness of Christ. That's a great question to ask people. So you're a Christian? Yes. Well, why do you think God is going to let you into heaven one day? If they say anything other than it's because of the death of Christ and his righteousness, that's the only thing. There's nothing in me. If they say anything else, well, you know, I've tried to live a good life. No, wrong answer. Do not pass go. Do not collect whatever. You know, it's just not going to work out very well for you. Well, I've tried to, you know, work hard. I've tried, it doesn't matter. 
anything other than trusting in the righteousness of Christ and in his payment for our sin is an incorrect answer. And so the the father treated the son, says that he became sin for us, even though the son was sinless. The father now treats believers who are sinners as righteous, even though they were unrighteous. Jesus exchanged his life for sinners in order to fulfill that elective plan of salvation of God. And he did it. In the end, he might give back to the Father the love gift that the Father gave to him. So that's what the gospel is. Well, what is the gospel not? Sometimes you can ask a question in a negative way. What is the gospel not? I mean, today, all over in in evangelical Christianity, you hear the gospel message preached And it's a message that's suited to the audience, to those who are listening, to what they want to hear, to their felt needs. And by doing that, generally, you can gain a pretty wide hearing. I mean, if you tell people what they want to hear, what happens? They tell other people, and you get more people to hear what you're saying. See, if you tell people that Jesus will give them the treasure on earth, that you can have your best life now here on earth, rather than treasure in heaven, well, people will line up to feed from that trough. But see, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. If you want to tell Jesus, if you want to tell people that Jesus will make them feel good, make them happy, rather than holy, People will run to that message, but that's not the gospel. You can even tell people that Jesus died to cure them of all their problems, their low self-esteem. All the issues they have in their life. That's why Jesus died, rather than for their sins, as the Bible says. You'll fill a hall, but that's not the gospel. Unfortunately, today, we're faced with the fact that most modern church growth movement folks that are in churches today have a message that's built exactly on that reasoning. You know what? You have to tap into the felt needs of the people. What do the people want to hear? How can I improve my marriage? How can I help my finances? How can my employment be prosperous? That's not the gospel. It may build a mega church, beloved. It may make the bearers of the mega gospel rich. Because it's what sinful people want to hear. But that's not the gospel. Plain and simple. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of a crucified Savior. Suffering in our place for our sins.
that you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him if you want to believe in that gospel, if you want to follow that Savior. See, that is goes against every natural inclination of the natural man and woman. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Can't do it. For they're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, that tells me that the gospel is a message that God has to activate in people's lives. He's the one that takes the blinders off our eyes. It wasn't one day when I was 19, I finally figured out the gospel message and said, wow, this makes sense. I think I'm going to... No, that's not how it worked. I had heard the gospel several times and I thought it was ridiculous. But it was that final time when that pastor pointed to that verse in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of a sudden, God gave me the clarity to understand my comparison wasn't to my brothers or to my friends who were maybe not living as good a life as I was. At least in my own mind, I thought that. But the comparison was between me, a sinful person, and a holy God. And I realized there's no way I can cross that bridge. And when I realized that Christ was the one who came down and died in my place and took my sins upon himself, God gave me the ability. He transformed my heart. He opened my eyes to the gospel of Christ. But it took a a pastor who was willing to share with me. It took brothers who were willing to share with me the gospel of Christ. They just didn't sit back and say, well, I've got to work it out. (laughs) See, there's what I like to call the sad reality, unfortunately, of unbelief. You know, when you share the gospel with people, some people are not going to believe the gospel. They're not going to believe that they're a sinner. They're not going to believe they need a savior. They may even laugh or mock you. But I don't know why we're surprised at that. We see it throughout scripture. You even see it in the Old Testament through the teaching of the prophets. They said there are times of unbelief, even in the nation of Israel. You see it in the teachings of Paul. And so we come to Romans 16, 10, 16, and he says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? See, the fact of the matter is, it's not going to be a majority of people who come to Christ. But that doesn't mean we don't go out and share the message with the majority of people. It's not, we're not to put our, our focus on the end result. It's on being obedient. It's doing what God requests us to do. Go out and preach the gospel, share the gospel, live the gospel in the communities in which we live. Several thousand years ago, there was a man who was chosen. He was chosen to follow this incredible leader. And the leader possessed these outstanding religious and moral qualities. And because he was chosen, he got to spend time with this leader. 
about three years, personal time. They spent all their time together almost. He was part of a small group of other people who were chosen. But during that time, during that three-year period, the man became disillusioned with his teacher. Even though the teacher was unparalleled. He eventually betrayed his teacher to the enemy. And he even did so to make some profit out of the whole situation. So he could profit personally from his betrayal. In the end of the story, you know, he then becomes disillusioned with himself because of what he did. Generally, disillusionment a lot of times leads to depression. Depression leads to desperation. Desperation leads to despair. In the end, he ended up killing himself. He hung himself. We know that man is Judas. And we know his teacher was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's, there's a sad reality of unbelief, even with those whom God chose, Christ chose. And that should not dissuade us or discourage us from going out of these, this building and sharing Christ and living Christ before a lost and dying world. Paul himself felt that despair of unbelief amongst his brethren in Israel. Even the apostles were aware that, you know what, not everybody is going to be delighted to hear this gospel message. And so Romans 10.16 says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Now, if you look at the the text of that, where it's at, he just got done saying, boy, this glorious thing is going to happen. You know, you're going to go and share and you're going to be able to preach to these and, you know, and be sent. And how beautiful are the feet of those who, who preach the good news. What a wonderful way to just stop right there. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, but you know what? They're not all going to obey the gospel. That's just reality. It's as if Paul is saying, I've preached the gospel in a lot of places and I've done it to the best of my ability. And you know what? God has blessed my efforts. But you know what? I need you to understand one thing. Not all of it has been successful. Not everybody is going to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not everybody is going to become a Christian. And we have to leave that in the hands of God. But that doesn't mean that we don't continue to preach and to teach the word, the gospel. It doesn't mean that we have to dumb down the gospel, that we have to make it less than what the genuine gospel is so that people will like it and they will be attracted to it. I mean, you know, the whole idea of the cross, the Bible says it's an offense. I mean, the message of the gospel, it's good news, but it's an offensive good news. It's the kind of news that, you know, when you go to the doctor, 
You go for a checkup and then you go back and they say, well, the good news is we know what's wrong with you. (laughs) Oh, great. But we got to let you know that you got about two weeks to live. Nothing we can do for you. See, that's when you share the gospel with somebody, it's glorious news. Why is it glorious? Because it's the only opportunity for anyone to be reconciled to the Creator. It's the only way. There's not another door. Jesus himself taught this. He taught this in in Matthew, in the Matthew's Gospel. If you look at Matthew chapter 13, even Jesus knew that, you know what, when we share the Gospel message, it's not always going to fall on fertile soil. And we don't really have time to go into this whole parable this morning, but I do want to read it for you. Maybe it will be an encouragement to you. Because all these crowds were gathered beside Jesus there beside the sea. It says, great crowds gathered about him. So he got out into the boat, he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. And this is one of the parables of the soils that he shared. He said, a sower went out to sow. That's how they did it back then. You went out and you tilled your ground and then you plant your seed. Verse 4, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. In other words, what's he saying? I mean, basically he's pointing out, you know what, you're going to share the gospel sometimes with people who are just hard. They're hard. It doesn't mean you don't share it, but they're hard. They've been hardened by sin. Maybe they have a vice they're addicted to. Maybe the the enemy has a stronghold over their life. I don't know. I mean, God is able to break all those things, of course. But it will often be the case that that sin remains strong. And because that, that gospel message falls on a hard heart, I mean, people ask all the time, why is America, man, it seems like it's going down the tubes morally. What's going on? I mean, it's not rocket science. It's sin. It's sin. It's having a healthy disrespect for what God values. His principles, His word. His holiness. Life in general. Any kind of morality is not welcome today in this world. It's because people love sin. And they'll always love sin. That seems like a simplified answer, but that's basically what it is. Some people were hard. And it goes on here. And he says, other seeds, verse 5, fell on rocky ground. Where they didn't have much soil. You want to know what rocky ground is? Go out on the other side of the fellowship hall. That grass, that's rocky ground. I don't even think you could put a, a, a spade in there the full length. It'd probably go maybe two or three inches. It hits rock bed. Every time we water, what happens? The water just runs off the hillside. Why? Because we're on a big piece of rock here. It's hard to break through that. Only God can do that. 
But that doesn't mean you don't share it. It doesn't mean you don't reach out to them. You have those who are hard, those who are, are, are shallow. They're just, they're represented by the rocky soil here. There's a lot of people who are just shallow people. They're not concerned with the position of their own soul. They're focused on how much money's in their bank or what kind of job they have or what kind of car they have, what kind of house, where they live. T.S. Eliot said this. He wrote a little thing called The Hollow Men. He says, we are the stuffed men. We are the hollow men leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Alas. I mean, when you stop and think about it, I mean, that's really what it is. We're kind of hollow on the inside, very shallow. But it goes on here, the third kind of soil. It says, other seeds found on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, didn't last since they had no root, they withered away. In verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Do you remember what it was like in the Garden of Eden before there was weeds? Man. I mean, every, everybody had a green thumb back then. You know, I say some people have a green thumb. My sister has a green thumb. She can grow anything. Anything. I bring a plant home. Days, it's dead. Days, within days, easily within days. It's very frustrating, but that's just what happens. And then you have the fourth soil, the good soil. The soil that bears fruit, because it falls on good soil, produced grain some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. It says, he who has ears, let him hear. See, the reason I reference this parable is not to go into a study of the parable, obviously, but to just to let you know that even Jesus himself said, you know what, when you are out there sharing the gospel, just like a sower who's sowing seed, every, every little seed that you sow is not going to fall on fertile ground. So you know what, there's going to be some disappointment. There's going to be some unbelief involved in evangelism. And you know what, we have to conclude that, you know what, we have to be okay with that to the degree that we know that God activates that seed in their heart. We don't go out and literally save people. That's not our goal. That's not our calling. Our calling is we're the, the, you might say, the, 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 uh, the people in a restaurant who bring you the food. That's our job. And, and hopefully the people will like the food. Hopefully the people will be attracted to the food. Hopefully the people will enjoy the food. But right out of the outset, it says kind of the food's going to be an offensive food to them. People don't like to hear that it's not all about them. People don't like to hear that, well, no, you've got to kind of deny yourself. That you have to take up your cross and instrument of death. Die daily to yourself. Put Christ first in your life. That's what Jesus as Lord means. It's not a suggestion. That's why Paul says, back to Romans 
10 here. That's why he says in verse 16, but they have not all what? Believed? He says, no, not all have obeyed the gospel. See, somehow in in our Christian churches, we think that the gospel is some kind of suggestion. You know, amongst the many faiths of the world, you know, this is one of them. No, that's not how God portrays the gospel. The The gospel is portrayed by God's word as the only way. That Jesus is the only way to heaven. And we need to be reminded of that. That faith comes by what? Hearing. And it's up to us to go out of these four walls and to share the gospel first with our lives and then our lips. And I just want to say, you know, for believers here this morning who's been converted, who's been transformed by the glorious gospel of Christ. You have to make sure that people hear this gospel. Don't don't hoard it to yourself. It's our responsibility to take the gospel from this place to a lost and dying world. And you know what? You can go to places I can't go. And I can go to places that you can't go. And so God has a strategic plan here. And he wants us to be part of it. He wants us to be obedient to that call. Dave's going to be going over this in a couple weeks when he talks about having a compassion for the lost, I'm sure. But all who are saved are saved because somehow Christians have done something to bring the gospel to them. They hear the glorious gospel. Faith comes by hearing the message through the words of Christ, it says. I think that's so important for us to remember that when we look at this lost and dying world and we look at the task of fulfilling the Great Commission, I mean, it's, it's, it's a task that's never completed, really. I mean, God completes it ultimately because everyone who is elect will be saved according to God's sovereign plan. So we need to be obedient to the calling. Secondly, I think, if you're here today and you have yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ, if you have yet to, it says in verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It says everyone who believes in Christ will not be put to shame. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, that's the good news of the gospel. When that comes from a sincere and broken heart, when you realize there's no other way out of this predicament in which you find yourself, the sinful state that you stand before a holy God condemned righteously to eternal hell forever, to incur the full wrath of God for all eternity. And you realize there's nowhere else to go. That's when you turn your heart to Christ and you say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. Help me even in my unbelief. Take advantage of the teaching that you're receiving. Listen to it. Take your Bible and read it. 
Open your heart to the the words of God as they're being taught. One commentator wrote this, If you will open your heart now and willingly pay attention to the good news, the gospel, that... To the good news that God has nothing against you, that he loves you, that he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for you, that Christ did die for you personally, and that he was buried and that God raised him from the dead on the third day as a guarantee of your salvation. If you'll open your heart to this, the commentator says, you will find faith coming to you because faith comes from hearing the word of God. That's the way God has planned it. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I pray for any here in this room who have yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ. I know, Lord, that's in your sovereign hands. But, Lord, we do pray that you would be gracious to them. That you would allow them to cry out to you. Even in the quietness of this moment as we prepare our hearts for communion. (coughs) Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged by Paul's message, that not all are going to believe the gospel. But what a glorious thing just to have the opportunity to share, to know that we fulfilled our part, that we've shared the gospel uncompromisingly, unapologetically, yet with grace and love. And Lord, it's that one person that that comes to Christ that will hear and be transformed by your glorious power. That's what we long to see. Father, we pray that as you prepare our hearts as believers for our communion time this morning, this communion table is open to all who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You don't have to be a member of this church, Grace Bible Church. It's, you have to be a member of Christ's church. And so we invite you to partake as the elements are passed. But the Bible does tell us that We need to examine ourselves. That we need to take part of this communion table in a a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And so as we do that, as we just sing a song and reflect on the cross and, and then partake of the elements as they're passed around together as one body. For those of you who don't know Christ, I just pray that you would pass the elements past and and uh, if, if you don't know Jesus, this really doesn't mean anything to you. These are, these are not any holy elements. This is a cracker and some grape juice, but it, it represents something that is very holy. It's the sacrifice of our Savior and what that means to us personally. And so, Lord, we pray that you would lead us and guide us through this time. And and never forget, it's never too late to cry out for any who is yet to believe. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. That's That's a prayer that God will hear if it comes from a sincere heart. We thank you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.